Welcome to The Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. And today we will be talking about platelet disorders. Yeah, that's right. So we'll be finishing off our talk about sort of coagulation, anything related to formation of coagulation and also bleeding related topics. And from this point on, after this point, we'll be talking about some of the cancers, which are really interesting. But let's talk about platelet disorders today. Before we dig in, I just want to make an emphasis that with the diseases that we're going to talk about later on is focusing on primary hemostasis problems. So if you yeah. don't remember, so these are the platelet problems we're going to talk about why you would have low platelet counts. Essentially, all of these things will be of a primary hemostasis origin. There will be nothing that goes wrong in secondary hemostasis yeah. or, let's say, fibrinolysis. That sort of topic has been covered mm -hmm. previously. So let's get into it. So mentioning thrombocytopenia, let's define what that is. And so a thrombocytopenia, from the name, you have to associate it with a low platelet count. So we're talking about less than 150 times 10 to the power of 9 platelets per liter. Just for simplicity's sake, how about whenever we're talking about this, unless we state otherwise, we're talking about something to the power of 10 to the 9. So we just say, just say less than 150. Okay. So what causes, what are some of the things that can happen with thrombocytopenia? I know it's probably associated with either increased destruction or decreased production. Can mm -hmm. you just give us a brief overview yeah. before we get into it? So let's say with a decreased production, it could be of a nutritional reason, mm -hmm. like less uh, too little B12 and folate could be of a congenital reason, for example, Falcones, which is another thing we'll bring up later on, could be uh, of marrow damage. So mm. it could be from aplastic anemia, chemotherapy. There's just something wrong with the marrow. That's why there's no yeah. platelet being produced. And I think today we'll focus more about the increased uh, destruction yes. of platelets. Yeah. So what actually destroys it? Well, there's a couple of things that we'll talk about, but broadly speaking, we're going to be talking about a condition that's abbreviated as ITP, and we're going to be talking about a condition that's abbreviated as TTP. Once we get into it, let's well, let's talk yeah. about ITP first, um, I reckon. Yeah, what level of platelets do you have to actually be under to actually start developing clinical symptoms? We're defining this thrombocytopenia as mm. less than 150, but it's not until you're less than 20 to actually develop symptoms. Yeah, so that's when it becomes clinically significant. I'm sure there are risk factors where something less than 50 perhaps might be more of a concern. But we can mm. talk about that in a second. There's another when I've been reading about this topic. There's this term that constantly pops up. Can you define it? Because I mean that's going to clarify a whole heap of confusion. Yeah. What term is it? It's called purpura. Oh, purpura. it's it's mentioned left, right, and center everywhere. You're going to purpura this, purpura that. What is purpura? I think it's a purple discoloration of the skin, and I'm thinking of it more like some sort of like a bruise or yeah. like a, a rash. I believe there are different terms to describe a purpura. So like. Let's say it could be a petechiae or an ecchymosis. Mm. Or is it actually petechiae, pur purpura, and ecchymosis? Yeah, I think it's like that. So there's a broad, there's three terminology that is often mentioned when you talk yeah. about bruising associated okay. with platelets. It's petechia, where the bruise is less than one centimeter. So they're like fine needle dots on the skin. Okay. There is purpura. So that's in between petechia and ecchymosis. And ecchymosis is if you have these bruisings or that are greater than one centimeter in diameter. Okay. They all mean bruising brought about by platelet dysfunction, but they're just different sizes. Mm. But purpura seems to be the one that is mentioned all the time, and that's the one that's in between petechiae and ecchymosis. So, yeah, it's an interesting name. I don't, know, I don't know whoever was naming it. <laughs> I don't know what, what happened to them, but wasn't wasn't the best name to choose. Anywho, yeah. let's talk about immune thrombocytopenic purpura. Again, that name comes 
immune thrombocytopenic purpura. So what does it, do you want to just break that down? Oh geez. So I think it it's purpura causing caused by an immunological cause that also causes a thrombocytopenic picture. Yes. So little platelets. Yes, oh, exactly. Man. So it's yeah, immune let's, related. Let's call it ITP. Yeah, we'll just call it ITP for now. But you yeah. guys now know what it stands for. So it's yeah. it's a, it, the name gives it away. It is an immune related sort of condition. So you can have two types. You can have okay. I, I guess the acute type, which is more common in kids, and that's okay. also known as the child type. Yep. And that normally occurs between the age of two to six years. And the good news about about that condition is that it generally spontaneously resolves. Um, so eighty percent of cases resolve within you know three to six months. That sounds good. But the one that we're going to focus our attention on, which is, you know, I guess, more important, is the chronic adult type. So mm-hmm. chronic is associated with the adult type, um, ITP. Do you want to maybe talk about that a little bit? With the chronic type, the platelets remain low for more than six months. So that's where we come up with the chronic name. Mm. And predominantly occurs in uh, adults, as you already mentioned. Yep. And most cases of it is an isolated thrombocytopenia. Yes. So we're not talking pancytopenic, which means the low uh, levels of red, white, and platelet cells. Just a low platelet mm. level. I believe you come to this diagnosis through exclusion, is that correct? Yeah, so the diagnosis of exclusion. Another thing that should raise your suspicions is that it's far more prevalent in females than in males. So the ratios are, I think, about three to one. Oh. Again, if you see this isolated case in a female, then you'd be thinking, hey, maybe this person might have you know, ITP. But yeah, so as you mentioned, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. Mm-hmm. So you've done all these investigations and really nothing is adding up. Then you might start thinking, hey, this patient could have ITP. There is an association with H. pylori, actually, and you know that might be why there's this immune-mediated component. Maybe the immune is, immune system is responding to H. pylori, and there's hmm. some collateral damage. There must be some mimicry or something going on, and then it accidentally also targets the platelets in the in the body. But there is this association, and if you treat H. pylori, about one third of patients respond to the treatment. But let's talk about the pathophysiology, Andy. So what's involved? So there's obviously immune yeah. mediators, so, or how? Yeah, let's talk about why and which part of the immune system is kicking in. And when you think of ITP, you have to think of antibodies. And essentially, we get a low picture of platelets in the blood because antibodies are targeting the platelets mm. and killing them off. Yep. So they bind onto the platelets on the GP2B3A uh, receptor, which is important for platelet aggregation. Yes. You can go back to our platelet lectures mm. and, and listen to that if you forgot what 2B3A does. But yeah, so the antibodies bind to 2B3A, tag it essentially, and then when the platelets go through the spleen macrophages pick up on these platelets and gobble them up yeah exactly that's a really good way of putting it. and that explains why it's um you know immune mediated and so, it'll explain later on why some treatments occur yeah yeah, yeah exactly okay, so go on yeah let's talk about some of the clinical presentations um so how do these patients present normally as we mentioned it's a, it's a thrombocytopenic picture mm. but you know you have to have a really really low level of platelets mm. to actually yeah. have any presentation so i would suspect uh no symptoms usually no, yeah normally or very minimal bleeding you know maybe you know, occasional noise, epitaxis, or very rarely do you get serious bleeds like, you know, massive GI bleeding or massive, you know, um, mucosal hemorrhages and things like that. But okay. generally, it's, you know, patients don't really present and it's an incidental finding. So in terms of some of those mild symptoms, they, as we mentioned, they, you know, it's called purpura oh, yes, for a reason. Of course. So they can have, you know, about 50% of cases, they can they have some... Purpura. 
Yeah, they can have some skin manifestations. Okay, yeah. It's very rare to get, you know, internal organ and CNS bleeds, about one one to two percent of cases. Yeah. But, you know, they can have splenomegaly in about ten percent of cases because the spleen is involved in sequestering some of those coated yeah. or, or tagged platelets. But yeah, as a whole, the symptoms may be mild. What are some of the investigations that you have to, you know, run? Well, I think with a lot of these conditions in general, the first thing I would like to find out is their full blood count mm. and um, look at the uh, reticular side counts and you know if i do that i'd probably expect to see a low platelet count out of everything yeah. and red blood cells and white blood cells to be quite normal mm-hmm. then the second step i would look at is to check whether if the pt and aptt times are how are they and yep. you would expect a normal picture because as i mentioned earlier all of these conditions we're describing right now is to do with primary hemostasis yeah. not secondary yeah, and if you're not sure what we mean by APTT and prothromboplastin time, have a listen to our clotting lectures. We do mention, discuss that in depth. What else, Andy? Then I want to have a look under the microscope and see what they look like, uh, so what the blood film looks like. And so I would see low levels of platelets. I hardly see them around. Or when I do find them, they would be of a large size. Mm. All right. Do, do you um, think a bone marrow biopsy is warranted? Definitely. I think yeah. that would be very important to actually differentiate it from other causes. Yeah. As we mentioned, ITP is because the platelets are being killed off externally. So like there's antibodies that are... Uh, so they are being produced. The platelets are fine. It's just that later on in life, they get targeted by these antibodies. Whereas I would want to look at the bone marrow to see whether if there's actually a destruction of the bone marrow that's mm. causing low levels of platelets. So that's part of your differential diagnosis. Exactly. So you're ruling out a bone marrow failure as opposed to... A- you know, an immune-mediated disorder. So I put it better myself. And exactly. And so let's say if I do look at the bone marrow aspirate, I would expect to find large number of megakaryocytes. Reason because platelets come from megakaryocytes and so the body is compensating in its own way to try and pump out more platelets. Great. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's really good. Well, how do we treat this? Can, are, are there any treatments? Uh, definitely. Um, yeah. I, I think we should both go through it together. Yeah. So we mentioned earlier that platelets need to be less than 30 or 20 or so to actually have active bleeding. So rarely is treatment indicated unless you've got, you know, severe trauma, active bleeding, or the platelet counts are so low. What happens in an emergency? In an emergency, so that's really defined as when there's an active bleed. So when you definitely need to treat. Yeah, yeah so exactly. So if there's an active bleed in the CNS, in the GI, or um, uh, you need to perform an emergency surgery, obviously having really low platelet counts is a huge risk factor for bleeding. So there's a couple of approaches, right? So you give them corticosteroids to suppress the immune response and the antibody production. Okay, yeah. You give antifibrinolytic agents. So an example of that is that it's commonly available is the agent is called transamic acid. And so what that does is that it suppresses the risk of or decreases the activity of um, agents that are involved in dissolving fibrin. Okay. And so it retains to some of the clot. So when there is a clot formed, then it prevents you, you know, it maintains the clot and it, obviously that protects okay. against bleeding. You also give IV immunoglobulins. And I think you should mention what, why we do that later. Yeah. Um, you, you can also give, in a very rare, very emergency situation, you can give platelets transfusion. But there's a reason why you wouldn't routinely give platelets. Um, and yeah. we can discuss that later. And obviously because the liver, uh, sorry, the spleen is involved in sequestering and destroying these platelets and mm-hmm. in an emergency, you might have to consider um, a splenectomy, but normally it's not performed. Mm -hmm. But overall, corticosteroids, antifibrinolytic agents, immunoglobulins, and rarely do you give platelet transfusions as well. Mm -hmm. But obviously that's in an emergency. What happens in a non-urgent situation and how do you define that? Yeah, so a non-urgent treatment situation would be when you've got low platelet counts such as less than 20 to 30, 
but with no active bleeding. So if you had active bleeding, that probably would be an emergency. Or let's say if on the second case, like let's say you've got less than 50 platelet counts, but with some sort of significant bleeding, mm. then we'd also call that cause for treatment, but we wouldn't really call it emergency. Yeah. But yeah, as we mentioned before, like one of the things that is mentioned in general management guidelines is that platelet transfusions do not work in ITP. And it would make sense if you try to think about it is that you've got antibodies being produced that target the platelets. So what's the point of giving more platelets? You're just giving them more targets to be targeted. Yeah, exactly. Unless this is a very serious exactly. lead and you need to exactly. quickly so, stop it, in which case that risk benefit outweighs. What else do you do? As you mentioned before, uh, with similarly to the emergency treatments, you give corticosteroids to suppress the production of antibodies. Also, you suppress phagocytosis. Um, you give IVIG. So intravenous immunoglobulins. And I thought this was really interesting, mm -hmm. wasn't it? Like from my understanding yeah. is that you give the body these immunoglobulins that just to keep those macrophages or the FC receptors on those immune cells occupied. Yes. So you keep the body preoccupied with these dummy targets and so the platelets actually don't get destroyed. Yep, exactly. So that's I think a really it's a, good way it's, it's a temporary solution. It mm. doesn't fix the whole problem, but you know, it gets you through it. I guess. Yeah, is it true you can give anti-D as well? Oh, yeah, anti-D, I think had something to do with actually letting the RH positive, so the D antigens on red blood cells to act as a similar IVIG thing. So mm. they would also block the FC receptors and keep those macrophages preoccupied. But it needs to be an RH positive patients who haven't undergoing splenectomy. Um, oh, that's true. Yeah, so it needs to be RH positive. And yeah. it does the same thing. It just blocks the FC receptor mm -hmm. on your um, antigen, um, yeah. your phagocytic agents. What, what else do you do? <laughs> so that's like first line. What about second line? Uh, well, second line, as we can try, if, if all things aren't going that well, we can try get rid of the spleen mm -hmm. because, you know, that's where everything is getting destroyed. You can try immunosuppressants uh, such as azathioprine or cyclo, uh, cyclophosphamide to reduce T-cell signaling. You've got other things such as rituximab, vincristine, and those ones I'm not too familiar with. Yeah, so rituximab yeah. is an important one to mention. Rituximab um, essentially wipes out your B-cell colony. And oh. so B-cells are the ones that are producing the antibodies. So yep. if you reduce their numbers, mm -hmm. then you can hope to induce some level of recovery. Uh, and vincristine is cytotoxic, so it's gonna it's a vinca alkaloid. Mm. So it's going to destroy a lot non-specifically cells that turn over very rapidly, including the immune cells. There's two other drugs, danazole and um, thrombopoietin-like agents. Do you want to talk through that a little bit? Well, with the thrombopoietin-like agents, they will essentially stimulate the body to produce more platelets. Mm. So I think that maybe the more platelets you have, the less likelihood that they will get destroyed. Or Hopefully, you would think mm. so. It's a little bit, or you mm. might overwhelm the antibody system, so you might have some more more mm. spare platelets yeah. to compensate. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's what, an interesting what's point. what's the uh, dinosaur again? Danazole is a testosterone um, analog. Okay. So it's I don't think it's commonly routinely used, but it decreases the expression of FC receptors. So okay. that's where its protective mechanism comes into play. Yeah. But it has lots of toxicities, including phatotoxicity. So I don't think it's routinely used. That's ITP. ITP. Yeah. yeah. So do you want to just do a very brief summary? Yeah. Okay. So ITP is antibody damage, uh, antibody attachment to platelets, and the platelets get tagged from these antibodies and get removed in the spin. Exactly. So let's talk about, let's finish off this topic by yep. talking about um, TTP. So that's, so this is another way we can, the body can get low on platelets. Mm. Another way to get uh, the platelets having, the, uh, being used up. So what exactly is it? So TTP, as we mentioned, stands for thrombotic thrombocytopenia purpura. So it caught, there's some sort of 
bruising or bleeding associated. What's interesting is that there's both thrombosis and thrombocytopenia. So you can initially form some clots, then you have okay. very low platelets. Okay. The question is how this comes about. We can't mention this topic without mentioning another condition called hemolytic uremic syndrome. Both okay. of these are very intimately related, so we'll cover both of them very briefly. And they fall under a huge term, uh, mm. a larger overview yeah. and category called... What? Do you want to mention it? Okay, I'll, I'll mention it. Um, called microangiopathic hemolytic anemia. Yes. So M-A-H-A. Can you run just through yeah. the basic pathophysiology? Because it's very similar. So essentially with both TTP and HUS under this uh, microangiopathic hemolytic anemia picture is that these small thrombuses or small clumps of platelets form in the blood vessels. And sometimes you can picture them as like little thorns that protrude out of the blood vessel wall in a very small tight space yeah. of the small so vessels. So they protrude into the lumen. Yeah, the, the microvasculature, so the very small ones. And so red blood cells, you know, they're quite... A large size compared to these small blood uh, vessels and they have to squeeze their way through but now you've got these little thrombi that are, are uh, present in these blood cells so uh, blood vessels and so when they squeeze through they essentially get sheared and uh, fractured apart mm. and so the red blood cells die and cause hemolysis the red blood cells get these uh, sheared red blood cells have a very special name called schistocytes yeah so they're semi-functioning red blood cells but they're damaged essentially so it's mm. Not very good. Yeah. So now the question is, why do these blood, uh, yeah. the microtron by form? And it's important that if you can answer this question, you can clearly make the distinguishing features of TTP versus HUS. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about some of the characteristics. So TTP is predominantly disease of adults, whereas okay. HUS or hemolytic uremic syndrome predominantly affects kids. What is the cause of TTP? Because um, there's slightly slight different causes of TTP. So, yeah. um, do you want to maybe mention what you why? know why Adam Adam TS thirteen is important? Okay, so we mentioned Adam TS thirteen in the previous episode, and what that gene does is that it creates enzymes that break down von Willebrand's factor. Von Willebrand's factor is very crucial to attach itself onto damaged cell walls. Uh, sorry, damaged uh, vessel walls, and then they act as the binding um, proteins for platelets to attach themselves onto in the mm -hmm. first place. So now you've got these long, huge strands of von Willebrand's factor, which hasn't been broken down because of a deficiency in Adam's TS13. Um, so you've got these uncontrolled, long von Willebrand factors floating around, and eventually what that is going to cause is just a, a more likelihood of platelets clumping together yeah like abnormal platelet adhesion and and mm -hmm. i guess that causes those sort of thorny things that we kind of described in the vessels that shear um the blood uh, red blood cells that are traveling through those micro vessels exactly now um, my time to ask my turn to ask you questions yeah sure okay so with hus so why mm -hmm. why does hus actually cause micro yeah so hus uh, you, you, we haven't mentioned it in microbiology, and I'm sure we will cover it in a future episode. Yeah. But that's related to Shiga toxin. Shiga toxin, for example, can be produced by Shigella, but it can also be produced by um, entero, uh, enterohemorrhagic E. coli. So we'll, we'll talk about that in microbiology when we get to it. But Shiga toxin also can affect the activity of Adam's uh, Adam TS13. So that's where it shares some resemblance. 
but it can also selectively damage uh, cells in the kidney because these cells express these glycoprotein receptors that attach to the toxin. And so that can bring about expression of inflammatory mediators such as TNF. It can attract neutrophils to those uh, affected kidney uh, or renal cells, and that can bring about damage and destruction of the, the, uh, the kidney cells. And so that's why you get predominantly renal symptoms with HUS. Can you explain to me, pop quiz for you, why okay. you get neurological symptoms as some of the defining characteristics for TTP? Okay, so with the neurological symptoms, uh, with TTP, you essentially you, you, you develop these thrombi, mm. so these blood clots, and I guess they can embolize and go into the brain, yeah. and that can cause neurological CNS problems. Yeah, or you get these transient occlusions because they you know they get lodged and they move, so it's kind of like a transient ischemic attack. We'll we'll, we'll talk more about that in neurology, but mm. when you get you know sudden changes in blood flow to the brain, and you get these neurological you know focal symptoms like yeah. um, you know confusion, headaches. Uh, maybe seizures if it's really bad, confusion. But yeah, so the key point is TTP, neurological, HUS, renal. Even now, the name from HUS kind of gives it away. is a hemolytic uremic syndrome. Yeah, so you're, urine, you're, you're, you're peeing out blood. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. so it's a renal. Actually, I, I remembered, sorry, um, we probably haven't spelled out why exactly thrombocytopenia occurs in these symptoms. Yeah, it? do you want to mention it's, it? It's because the body is forming a lot of these blood clots and it's using up its platelets. That's why yeah. you've got low platelet counts. Because, yeah, the platelets are part of that clot formation process. Exactly. Okay, so now, go on. what about investigation? So how do we, what are some of the things that we look at? Do we expect PPT and APTT to be different? PTT, uh, PT and APTTs? No, because there's nothing wrong with the clotting cascade. No, the secondary yeah. hemostasis is not really involved. No. Do we expect, you know, Coombs positive? Uh, Coombs tests, no, that looks at antibody attachment onto red blood cells or anything. So There's no antibodies. No. Really I, I don't think so. That should be a no. negative test. Exactly. But you might, you know, you are getting some hemolysis and schistocyte formation. So you might expect unconjugated biliary ribbon to be up. You might expect mm -hmm. your lactic dehydrogenase, so LDH yep. to be elevated, yep. um, and maybe some decreased heptoglobin as well. We mentioned heptoglobin. Yeah, right? so if you're not sure what those three tests were, go back to our, uh, or visit our hemolytic anemia mm. talk. And... Um, Hopefully that should clear things up. Yeah. But also, like, let's say if you look on the blood film, what would you expect to see? You expect to see schistocytes. So these look like fragmented red blood cells. I think they're called like helmet. They look like helmets. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, they, uh, they look like hats or, or helmets. Yeah. Um, another thing I forgot to mention for HUS, you're going to obviously have this renal dysfunction, right? So you expect, okay. you know, your creatinine to be elevated, your estimated GFR to be reduced to reflect that. Mm -hmm. compared to baseline. All right, what about management? Do we manage them the same? I think, although the pathophysiology is quite similar, I think the actual causes are quite different. So no, you wouldn't. Would, um, you, would you manage Yeah, I, I think there are some principles that you apply to both of them. Okay. Particularly TTP. TTP is a medical emergency and its mortality rate, if it's not managed appropriately, is up to 90% oh, wow. if left untreated. So it's pretty bad. Yeah. I guess you, you have this um, thrombocytopenic picture. It's not due to antibodies. So I guess you can infuse patients with platelets. Um, you can also perform plasma phoresis, and that can help replace some of the uh, the loss, the abnormal von Willebrand factors with normal von Willebrand factors. Yep. But it can also uh, supplement the protein products produced by Adams TS13. So you can, and so that can then fix up some of the problem as well, because that, as we mentioned, was the underlying cause. What else do you think? Actually, scratch out that platelet transfusion. You can't give platelet transfusion 
um, because that can worsen the thrombosis. I just had a quick mental blank. So, guys, I'm so sorry about that. You can't get platelet transfusion. Mm-hmm. You can get plasma infusion. I'm getting too confused. Is there anything else that you, you can think of? If, let's say, the patient's on aspirin or dipyridum or some any of those antiplatelet mm. agents, it probably is a good idea to consider whether that's really important because the person's already running low on platelets and maybe it's not a too good an idea to actually add an addition like some anti-platelet agents. In some cases, there might be some addition, especially in TTP, um, okay. because remember how we said those neurological symptoms are as a result of those blockages? So if you oh, get yeah. aspirin or dipyrimidol, yeah. which is often used for transient ischemic attacks, then that can be of some benefit in okay. those patients. I'm not sure whether it's used for HUS, though. So you're, you're probably right when it comes to HUS. Mm. And, and anyway, you don't normally give platelets to, um, sorry, aspirin to kids um, yep. because of, uh, is it uh, renal syndrome or some, oh, sort, of, like yeah, some right. sort of syndrome yep. that kids can get with aspirin? Yeah. But the whole point is you don't give platelet transfusion because that can worsen the thrombotic picture, particularly for TTP. You may give aspirin to prevent those platelet aggregations uh, in TTP initially. That triggers the whole problem. Uh, And then you can give plasma transfusions to replace some of those lost um, Adam TS13 product. That's it. So that's pretty much, you know, platelet abnormalities in a nutshell. Um, so that really brings together all sort of the clotting stuff that we talked about, all the um, platelet and blood coagulation uh, disorders yeah exactly so that's it that's all of that now we have the opportunity to start talking about some of the hardcore aspects of hematology <laughs> oh, as though that wasn't this wasn't even hardcore as though this wasn't that enough oh. we've got some uh we're, we're gonna we're planning to record quite a lot of stuff on um leukemias and yep. you know myelodysplastic aplastic anemias so stay tuned thank you Thank you for listening to our Common Rounds podcast. You can find all of our episodes, notes, elective experiences, and much more content on our website. So come visit us at thecommonrounds.wordpress.com. And see you next time.